You're listening to Sermon Audio from Jerusalem Church, an independent Reformed church in Mannheim, Pennsylvania. Our expository preaching ministry is devoted to proclaiming the law and the gospel for the glory of God and the salvation, growth, and comfort of Christ's church. If you'd like to know more about our church, visit us online at JerusalemChurch.net. Here's a message that we hope strengthens your faith and comforts your soul. Griffin Emerson, a seven-year-old boy from Fenton, Michigan, enjoys a day at his apartment complex's pool. He plays safely in the shallow end. He has a big idea. He wants to swim in the deep end. So holding on to the edge, he slowly moves into the deep and pushes off to swim, but struggles to keep his head above water. He's not a strong swimmer, struggling. Griffin sinks into the water. He's drowning. And his submerged body seemingly draws no attention for almost a minute. A 12-year-old boy named Noah on a nearby inflatable raft notices. Noah isn't sure whether Griffin is playing or drowning. Noah tells his 8-year-old brother Weston to jump in to see if he's okay. Weston realizes Griffin isn't okay. He jumps in, pulls him to the surface, and with help, gets Griffin to the side of the pool. Griffin is blue, lifeless, and isn't breathing. His mother performs CPR. Griffin coughs up water. He breathes. Noah and Weston are saviors. Griffin had been wearing floaties while playing in the shallow end, and and he took them off, and he swam into the deep water. Griffin said after his rescue, I just wanted to prove myself. Like, yeah, I can actually swim in stuff. And we can understand how a little boy would want to prove himself by swimming in the deep end. And I think this illustrates the human heart. Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, we proudly and foolishly think that we can handle life on our own. Self-confidence causes us to sink deeper into sin and hardens our hearts even more against God. The the scary thing is, sometimes sinners don't even realize they're drowning. Sometimes they notice, but they don't know what to do. This is the human condition. The responsibility and weight of our sin and divine judgment pull us under the surface. Who can pull us out? Who can save us? Perhaps like Paul, you realize and feel your wretchedness. And you ask, who will save me from my pride, discontentment, spiritual restlessness, anger, anxiety, covetousness, and selfishness? Who will rescue me from my guilty conscience and uneasiness? Is there a savior who can actually save me from myself? Is there one who can save even me from death and God's judgment? Is there a way God's image can be restored in me and I can be made whole? Friends, lots of people know the name of Jesus. Fewer people know Jesus. The more you know Jesus, the more comfort and joy you have in his person and work. Trusting in a false Jesus leaves the soul drowning So my encouragement to you is this, trust in Jesus Christ, the consubstantial, co-eternal, co-equal Son of God, and you will be saved. 
Let me try to make sense of that statement for you. But please understand that we are wading in vast, a vast ocean of incomprehensible mystery and truth. If Jesus Christ is not God and man, Christianity collapses and you have no hope of being saved. There are many soul-destroying heresies that grossly misrepresent Jesus Christ. They're alive and well today. I want to zero in on one, one that church historian Dr. Nicholas Needham calls the greatest theological controversy in the history of Christianity. Arius was a Bible-believing, professing Christian, presbyter, and popular preacher who began to, to teach that the Father alone was God. Needham writes, quote, the Logos or Son, Arius said, was a created being formed out of nothing by the Father before the universe was made. There was once a time when the Son had not existed. According to Arius, the Son was the first and greatest of all that God had created, end quote. To defend monotheism, Arius used the Bible to argue that the Son is a created being with a beginning. For Arius, if the Son is eternal God, there are two gods. Well, Arius created quite a stir in the church. His divergent teaching led to two fourth century church councils, the Council of Nicaea and the Council of Constantinople, from which we get the Nicene Creed, which addresses Arius' soul-destroying heresy by clarifying who Jesus Christ is according to the Bible which is essential to understand if anyone is to rightly know, worship, and glorify God's Son. The Nicene Creed contains the phrase homoousion topatri, meaning of one essence with the Father, meaning the Son is of the same substance or nature or being with the Father. The Nicene Creed clarifies scripture by stating that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. See, the Son is not a created being or a lesser God. He is indeed consubstantial, co-eternal, and co-equal with the Father. And this is essential to the gospel and the Christian faith. To be clear, Jesus Christ is the God-man. One person with two distinct but inseparable natures, a divine nature and a human nature. We'll get into his human nature later in the series, but for now our focus is on this, of one substance with the Father. Now you might wonder, is this really that important? It is. Here's why. If Jesus Christ is not consubstantial, co-eternal, and co-equal with the Father, he cannot save you, the gospel collapses, and you have no hope of being saved. So it's important. It's important. And it's profoundly concerning 
that 73% of self-declared evangelicals in the U.S. today agree that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Saints, almost three out of four self-professed evangelical Christians in the U.S. today embrace at least a form of the soul-destroying heresy of Arianism. Arians aren't Christians. Folks, we need reformation. There is no salvation in heresy. There is no comfort, assurance, peace, love, joy, and life in knowing a false Jesus. And there are false Jesuses. If Jesus is not consubstantial, co-eternal, and co-equal with the Father, he cannot be your mediator, he cannot be your savior, and you are in your sins, and you have absolutely no hope of ever being saved, of ever having eternal life with God. Justin, uh, Dr. Justin Hokum from RTS Orlando rightly says, quote, no mere man nor half God could possibly intervene to save fallen and sinful humanity, let alone restore all of creation, end quote. Athanasius was there at the Council of Nicaea participating. He made this powerful and hopeful point about Jesus. Quote, no one else but the Savior, who in the beginning made everything out of nothing, could bring what has been corrupted into a state free from corruption. No one else but the image of the Father could recreate human beings in God's image. No one else but our Lord Jesus Christ, who is life itself, could give immortality to mortal humans. No one else but the Logos, who imparts order to everything and is the one true and only begotten Son of the Father, could teach us about the Father and destroy idolatry. End quote. Your salvation and life depend entirely on Jesus Christ being consubstantial, co-eternal, and co-equal with the Father. So then, trust in Jesus Christ who is God's only begotten Son. Essential to being a true Christian is believing and confessing that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, begotten, not made. Now the word begotten is profoundly important. What does begotten mean? Well, the verb beget means to procreate or generate as a father begets a son. I begot Jeremiah, my firstborn son who came from me. So to say that Jesus Christ is the only begotten son of God is to say that Jesus Christ alone generates from the Father. Where does this idea come from? God has revealed it to us in the Bible. Carefully consider John 1.14, the ESV, which I don't prefer how the ESV translate this, but this is what the ESV says. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, the Greek word son is not in the, the Greek text. The King James is right to state it as the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. 
The Greek word is monogenes, a compound word of monon meaning only and genomai meaning to cause to be, to generate. John's explaining that the eternal word is the son who eternally generates from the father. John 1.18 uses monogenes. It says, no one has ever seen God, the monogenes God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. John's telling us that Jesus Christ is the only begotten God who reveals the Father to us. Monogenes shows up in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his monogenes son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life comes by believing into the only begotten Son of God. Monogamous also shows up in 1 John 4, 9, which says, in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his monogamous Son into the world so that we might live through him. So notice how John connects life in the Son to the begottenness of the Son. While we are God's children by adoption, Heidelberg 33 says Jesus Christ is the eternal natural Son of God. Your sinus was right to conclude, quote, as we are therefore the natural sons of our parents, so Christ is according to his divine nature the natural and only Son of God of the same essence and nature with the Father out of whose substance he was begotten from everlasting in a manner altogether beyond our comprehension. That's right, your sinus. Beyond our comprehension. Furthermore, the Father referred to Jesus Christ as his beloved Son. Jesus Christ referred to the Father as his Father. And John the Baptist, among others, saw and bore witness that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Brothers and sisters, as God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ alone has power to save you from your sins and misery, give you life in himself and restore and redeem all the earth. The Son is your avenue to eternal life with the Father. Trust him. Trust him. As the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ is consubstantial, co-eternal, and co-equal with the Father. Now, what do those terms mean? Next, trust in Jesus Christ who is consubstantial with the Father. Consubstantial. Con meaning together. Substantial meaning substance or relating to the essence of a thing. To say Jesus Christ is consubstantial with the Father is to say what the Nicene Creed says. Jesus Christ is of one substance or essence with the Father. You could say Jesus Christ possesses godness or deity. The Son is as much God as the Father is God. The Athanasian Creed states, he is God from the essence of the Father begotten before time. The Creed calls the Son completely God. And the Athanasian Creed says, believing this is essential for salvation. So it's important. This isn't useless doctrine. This is life-giving doctrine 
that must be believed and confessed. See, the substance or essence of God is the godness or deity of God, and Jesus Christ, as it pertains to one of his two natures, possesses this divine substance or essence or godness. Your salvation depends on this. 1 John 5.20 mentions the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and says, He is true God and eternal life. John could say this because Jesus Christ is consubstantial with the Father. John 1.1 says, The Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made through Him. Jesus Himself said in John 8.58, Before Abraham was, I am. Romans 9.5 says, Christ is God over all. In Colossians 1, Paul explains that we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins in God's beloved Son. Then he explains the consubstantiality of the Son. So your redemption and the forgiveness of your sins depends on the consubstantiality of the Son. Listen to what Paul says, Colossians 1.15. He is the image, or we could say icon, or likeness, or form of the invisible God. Jesus is the self-revelation of God. Now humanity is said to be the image of God. Yet humanity is not the self-revelation of the Father. The Son is the self-revelation of the Father because the incarnate Son shares the divine substance or essence with the Father. Calvin said that in Christ, God shows us his entire self. Paul goes on to explain that all things were created by the Son, through the Son, and for the Son. Of course, the Creator cannot at the same time be the creation. Makes no sense. And then Paul says of Jesus Christ in verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The fullness of what? The fullness of the divine substance or essence or godness. And if we jump to Colossians 2.9, Paul says, for in him the whole fullness, same word, of deity dwells bodily. Deity is the Greek word theotes, meaning the divine being. In the human body of Jesus Christ and distinct from his human nature is deity or we could say the divine nature of God. This is his consubstantiality. I'll add Hebrews 1.3 as an exclamation point. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The sun is the light of the glory of God and the exact representation or the express image of the substance or nature or essence of God. And by the word of his divine power, the sun is upholding the universe and he's upholding you inside of it. Why is that important? Because by his consubstantiality, he saves you, sustains you, preserves you, protects you. And he's even with you now and forever. He must be consubstantial with the Father to keep his gospel promises to you. Trust him because you know him. 
Because you know him and his consubstantiality, folks, it falls apart if the son is not also co-eternal with the father. Trust in Jesus Christ who is co-eternal with the father. Co-eternal. Co means together. Eternal means without beginning or end of existence. To say Jesus Christ is co-eternal with the father is to say that along with the father, the son has no beginning and has no end. Think about it. God cannot come into being. Eternality is essential to the essence of God. If God had a beginning, we're not talking about God. To be God is to be eternal. If Arius was right and the Son is created and not eternal, he cannot save you from your sins and is certainly not worthy of your worship, for worshiping a creature who has a beginning is idolatry. Furthermore, if the Son is not eternally begotten of the Father, then God the Father cannot be eternal because with a father without a son is not a father. Are you tracking with this? Let me just slow down here, make sure you get this. I think it's a really helpful point. Christine and I were talking about this last night. If the Son is not eternally begotten of the Father, then God the Father cannot be eternal. Because a father without a son is not a father. That there's a begotten Son because there's a Father, and there's a Father because there's a begotten Son. Since the Father is eternal, by logical inference alone, the Son must also be eternal, for there is no eternal Father without an eternal Son, and vice versa. Our entire doctrine of God and the gospel fall apart if Jesus is not consubstantial and co-eternal with the Father. We have no Christianity. This is why heresy is so important to understand and to reject the heresy. Heidelberg 25 says about the Trinity that these three distinct persons are the one true eternal God. Heidelberg 33 says that Christ alone is the eternal, natural Son of God. Heidelberg 35 talks about the incarnation, which we'll explore later in the series. It says the eternal Son of God, who is and remains true and eternal God, took upon himself a true human nature. And the Athanasian Creed, brothers and sisters, is a treasure trove of biblical and Trinitarian clarity. If this stuff confuses you, park on the Athanasian Creed for a month, two months, three months, and, and, ju and just learn it well, know it well. It says this at, at one portion, but the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one. The glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. The Father is eternal, the Son is eternal, the Holy Spirit is eternal, and yet there are not three eternal beings, there is but one eternal being. That's central to knowing God. There's, there's only one eternal being, one eternal essence, one eternal God, and yet there are three eternal divine persons in the one eternal God. Now let's think again. We're familiar with this passage, but let's think again of the glorious gospel promise of Isaiah. Just take this in. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. 
And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, that seems odd to talk about Christ as the Everlasting Father. It's a mysterious phrase. Don't want to park on it too long. This is what I read, quote, Ancient kings often referred to themselves as the fathers of their subjects. This name reveals the divine eternal care that the coming king will have for his people. I don't want don't to park there. That's probably right. What I want to emphasize is the word everlasting. Being applied to the Christ. He has no beginning. He has no end. What do you hear when Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Colossians 1.17 says, The Son is before all things. Of His only begotten, the Father says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And then Jesus says, Of His eternal deity, in Revelation 22.13, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The first and the last. The beginning and the end. It ought to bring you great comfort And joy to know that your Redeemer, your Savior, your Mediator has no beginning and has no end. He knew you in eternity. He redeemed you according to the Father's eternal plan of redemption to give you eternal life. Trust him, dear saints. Trust him for the eternally begotten Son from the Father is full of grace and truth for you. And he alone possesses the power to get you all the way home. Since he's consubstantial and co-eternal with the Father, the Son must also be co-eternal or co-equal with the Father. Trust in Jesus Christ who is co-equal with the Father. Co-equal. Co means together. Equal means one not inferior or superior to another. To say Jesus Christ is co-equal with the Father is to say what the Athanasian Creed says, none in this trinity is before or after, none is greater or smaller. In their entirety, the three persons are co-eternal and co-equal with each other. Philippians 2.6 might sound confusing when it says, Jesus Christ did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What do we do with that? Now, much should be said about this verse, but a simple point should not be missed here. The first part of the verse informs how you read the second part of the verse. All right, the first part says, who though he was in the form of God, Morphe, or form of God. Morphe refers to something that expresses the essence of what it is. The incarnate son is the self-expression of God. He's the expression of the magnificence of the deity of God. Philippians 2.6 begins with a confirmation of the son's divine essence. And then comes, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So we're scratching our heads. What does that mean And I'll simply say this, I think Paul was teaching that God's incarnate son did not take on human flesh 
to then exploit his divine nature for his own self-serving purposes. He, he used his divine nature to love and serve people. He still does. I don't think Paul meant equality with something uh, was, equality was something that was outside of the reach or the grasp of the Son, as if he didn't already possess equality. I don't think that's what Paul was getting at. But think carefully. When you think about Jesus Christ, God's Son, you should be thinking about one person with two distinct but inseparable natures. The Son is both God and man. To believe and confess otherwise is to have a false Christ. So when it comes to the co-equality of the Son, we must be careful to assign this glorious attribute of divine equality to his divine nature alone. His human body and soul are not equal with the Father. Only his divine nature is. Your sinus was right to say, quote, the Father, therefore, is greater than the Son, not as to his essence, in which the Son is equal with the Father, but as to his office and human nature. Human beings are not equal with God, right? And we're not just talking about this fancy pants theology, stuff to fill our minds with fancy language and big words, we're talking about the identity of God's Son, our Savior. We must know these things to rightly know Him and to rightly worship, adore, and trust Him. To believe and to confess otherwise is to engage in gross idolatry, which dishonors, degrades, and belittles the Savior and His work. We must believe and confess that Jesus Christ is co-equal with the Father as it pertains to His essence or divine nature. In John 5, Jesus called God his own father. Well, the Jewish leaders heard him, and they hated what he said. Why? Because by calling God his own father, Jesus was making a grand statement about himself, and they didn't like it. What statement was that? John 5.18 explains, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. To claim to be God's natural son is to claim to be co-equal with the father. Well, we all call God our father. Are we saying by that that we are co-equal with God? But, but see, that's different when we say it because we are God's children by adoption united to the only begotten in whom we have the right and the privilege to call God our Father. Now, don't you agree that God alone deserves all honor and glory? Do you agree with that? And if someone who is not God starts asserting that they should be honored and glorified as God, it would be horrific vainglory and idolatry. In John 5, 23, Jesus said that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. 
In his high priestly prayer of John 17, Jesus boldly prayed, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Folks, that's blasphemy. If the Son is not co equal with the Father. But it's a glorious, glorious prayer because as Westminster Shorter Catechism 6 says, and these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. And this, my dear brothers and sisters, this is why Jesus can say, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. His co-equality with the Father makes him worthy of your trust, worthy of your adoration, worthy of your utmost allegiance. Your heart need not be troubled in the sways of life and all that happens. Your heart need not be troubled. Dear church, for you know God by knowing his Son, and you're reconciled to the Father by union with his son. I'm telling you this for your salvation. I'm telling you this for life so that you live. I'm telling you this for your well-being. I'm telling you this for your comfort. I'm telling you this for your joy. I'm telling you this for your flourishing. Trust in Jesus Christ, the consubstantial, co-eternal, and co-equal Son of God, and you will be saved. You don't want to follow a false Christ to hell. Know the glorious Christ who is human like you, but who is also consubstantial, co-eternal, and co-equal with the Father. There is none like this glorious Christ. Know the glory of his consubstantiality. Know the glory of his co-eternality. Know the glory of his co-equality, and you, even you, will have life in his name. And you will have strength to fight the good fight of faith. For the God-man, your great Savior, he fights for you with power and with authority and with dominion and with supremacy today and tomorrow and to the end. Trust him because you know him. Now you sat down on the pew or the chair this morning without even questioning, without even thinking about it didn't even give it a thought that it would hold you because you had complete confidence that it would hold you. Why put more confidence in a pew or in a chair than in God's consubstantial, co-eternal, and co-equal mediator whom God has given to secure your salvation? Your salvation is secure than the seat that you're sitting in. You need to know who your mediator truly is to have instinctual comfort in his salvation. You know what I mean by that? Instinctual comfort. It's just there like your confidence was in your pew or your chair. So of course I would trust him because I know him. I know who he is. I don't even need to think about it because I know he's going to take care of me. Folks, trust in Jesus Christ who is the God-man who saves you from God's judgment and reconciles you to God. Who can save you? A lover? 
a spouse, a parent, a child, a, a boss, a politician, a pastor? Can drugs save you? Alcohol? Pornography? Popularity, success, money, fame, a comfortable life, a perfect marriage, a meaningful career? I mean, can anything in this life relieve your guilty conscience? Calm your troubled soul? Give you true inner rest? Can you think of anything that works? Don't get me wrong. I love pizza. I love pizza. I hear a gasp in the front. Paul and I got pizza the other week. Yes, pizza. Man, I I celebrate pizza. I like eating it. But when I'm troubled about how I'm supposed to best care for my kids and parent my, my children as their problems grow increasingly complex, pizza doesn't have the answers. I love to travel. I'd love to go to Austria and Switzerland and Belgium but going on a trip would not actually help me put sin to death and walk with Christ. I would just take my lusts with me to Europe. I love parties and I love being with people. I I feel energized with being around others, but surrounding myself with people, though it can be distracting for a, a limited time, it cannot ultimately fill my heart with satisfying love. I need the love of God. What can soothe your soul can give you a sense that everything's going to be okay, can compel you to live every day with meaning and with hope and with joy. It's not pizza or vacations or parties or money or possessions or work or exercise or health or whatever you can think of in this world. There's only one Savior. And he was was the little boy lying in the manger. He was the preteen confounding the professors in the temple. He was the friend teaching and healing lepers. He was the suffering servant who bled and died on the cross for your sins. He was the one who walked out of the grave alive. And he's the mediator who alone reconciles you to his father and puts peace and comfort and joy into your heart Only the consubstantial, co-eternal, and co-equal Savior Son can rescue you and me from our sins and misery and give us life in himself. Can I get an amen? Do you know why Jesus must be God and man to save you? You need a mediator who's just like you, a human being, because you, a human being, sinned against God and offended his holiness. But the Savior must also be God because only God could uphold a human nature and bear the crushing weight of God's justice. Only God can give life. Only God can grant His Spirit. Only God can restore what He created and we ruined. Your Savior must be one substance with the Father possessing supreme power to deliver you. See, your mediator, your Savior must be consubstantial, co-eternal, and co-equal with the Father, or he cannot save you. He might be in the presence of God himself by his own merits, but he can't get you there. 
Westminster Larger Catechism 38 effectively explains why the Son must be completely God. It was necessary that the mediator should be God, that he might sustain and keep the human nature from sinking under the infinite wrath of God and the power of death give worth and efficacy, or we could say effectiveness, to his sufferings, obedience, and intercession, and to satisfy God's justice, procure his favor, purchase a unique people, give his spirit to them, conquer all their enemies, and bring them to everlasting salvation. As Heidelberg 17 says, he must be true God so that by the power of his divine nature, he might bear in his human nature the burden of God's wrath and might obtain for us and restore to us righteousness and life. That's gospel. Jesus Christ can save you from God's wrath and restore to you original righteousness and life, restore to you the image of God precisely because he is consubstantial, co-eternal, and co-equal with the Father. We daily, we daily need this grace of Romans 5, 10 and 11. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, And we can take that to mean his consubstantial, co-eternal, and co-equal, only begotten Savior Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his, the Son's, life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. When you know God's Son, and you've been reconciled to God by his son. You know what? Life's struggles become bearable and even hopeful and, dare I say, joyful. Let the glory of the son's essence and the glory of his person and work lead you to love him and to serve him with all that you are and all that you have. Adore him because you know him. Worship him because you know him. Serve him because you know him. And dear saints, trust in Jesus Christ, the consubstantial, co-eternal, and co-equal Son of God who is begotten of the Father before all worlds, and you will be saved.